But once again, I'm so excited to get Hikari City Church off the ground. I'm just so grateful for the team that put that wonderful video together. I'm so happy I got my new t-shirt today for the first time. So I'm so excited and thankful for the opportunity uh, that is in store for us. And today I want to just continue on with this idea of light. I mean, light is so essential, isn't it? You don't really think about it that much. You don't really realize it, how important light is until you lose it. You know, like you go to a camp and you have no access to the fire or the light and you notice in that moment how important light is to our life. Now, I still remember the first time that I went on a camping trip with my wife and this happened after like three to four Three or, three or four months after we got married. And hiking used to be my hobby. You know, that used to be my thing when I was a single. And after I got married, I really want, wanted my wife to take on this hobby of hiking because we noticed that th there is so much differences between us. And if you don't know, my wife is from South Korea. I am from Japan. You know, growing up in a different country, just so many differences. So I thought for a need to be like a common way to spend time, a common hobby that we can do together over weekends. And to me, it was like a no-brainer. You know, hiking could be the thing. You know, you go up on a mountain and you just get yourself in the beautiful nature, breathe in some fresh air. You know, what can go wrong with hiking, right? So I told her, hiking is amazing. And hiking is so beautiful. And for our first hiking expedition, I didn't want to just take her to a hiking, you know, go up on the mountain and hike. I wanted to, have her, to, to, to let her have a full experience of hiking. So I told her, Sonny, when we go up on this mountain, we're not just going to hike on the mountain, but I will cook for you some nice meal. And so she was like, well, if there is food, maybe I will go. You know, the power of food, you know. So we, we drove on and a couple of hours away from Tokyo. And I still remember it was a beautiful day, blue sky, fresh air. And, and we just started hiking up on this mountain. And I was just having the best time of my life. This is so great. I, and I looked at my wife, and she was also having a good time, you know. And eventually, after about a couple of hours, we got to the peak. And I was like, yes, we're at the peak. And I was like, so far, so good. And here comes the, the highlight of the day, cooking in the mountain. So I took this, uh, out this noodle uh, that, that I brought from home and, and these uh, rice bowls, right? And as I was going through my backpack, I noticed something terrifying, so terrifying that I still, it, it still gives me the chills, even to this day, whenever I think about this, that as I was going through the backpack, I noticed that I, I forgot to bring the, the metal pot, which you need to boil the water to cook this, these noodles. So uh, I told her, Sonny, I have a good news and a bad news. The good news is that we have these, these rice balls, this, this Delicious rice balls to munch on. And she was like, what's the bad news? And I told her, well, the bad news is that it seems like uh, I didn't bring the, the, the metal pot, which means that we can't boil the water, so I guess I'm not cooking for you today. And as soon as I finished my sentence, my wife stood up, and without saying a word, 
she began walking down the mountain. I didn't know what was going on. And so I, I packed the stuff quickly and I, I ran after her. And it was the most quiet hiking down the mountain. Like I could literally hear the birds chirping, insects crawling on the floor. You know, silence is usually associated with this idea of peace and comfort. But this one, it was the most scary silence that I ever experienced. So that was uh, our first and the last (laughs) camping expedition that I went with my wife. Now that is all to say that the, the light is so important, and we don't really realize it until we, we lose it. We lose access to it. Without the light, we can't do anything. We can't cook. We can't even boil the water. You'll be eating vegetables all day and, or rice bowls all day. And, you know, without the light, you, you can't see. You have no social life. Without the light, there is no warmth, and eventually you will freeze to, to death. And that is why it is no coincidence that this scripture, the word of God, says that God is light. Because without the light, without God as the light, we cannot live. Just as light is so essential to our physical life, this, this book is saying that the presence of God is so essential to our spiritual life. But the problem with us living in this world is that we go after all the different kinds of light. Not, not the light that God gives us, but we go after all the other lights. Instead of saying that God is the light, we say money is the light. Instead of saying that the Lord is my light and my salvation, we say Education is my Lord and salvation, or my girlfriend is my Lord and salvation, or my work is my Lord and salvation. And these lights may give you some kind of pleasures and happiness momentarily, but you know and I know that those happiness and and pleasure don't last. These lights will not be able to shine the light to some of the darkest, some of the ugliest parts of our hearts. I mean, why would celebrities, so many of them, decide to take their own life when they're surrounded by all these different lights? It's because there is place in our hearts that no light in the world can reach. And today I want to talk about this one light, that one light that is from God that can reach the deepest corners of our heart. And this is the light that Jesus offers us. And before we open this this word... I just want to pray for you and and pray for myself as well. So if you could bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, Would you speak to us today? Would you show us how beautiful, how amazing the light that you give us is? Shine your light upon us, oh God, today so that we can be different, that we can no longer walk. We don't have to no longer walk in darkness, but walk in your life. Speak to us today, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today uh, we're going to look at the book of John, chapter 8. And I want you to picture yourself beside, standing beside Jesus inside of this great temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus in this scene, he's talking with these religious leaders called Pharisees. And he begins to say this. I am, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me 
will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, to fully appreciate what Jesus is saying in this, in, in this passage, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of the people living at that time. So just try to imagine that you are in a first century Jerusalem, and back then, this city was very dark. And I mean literally very dark. Obviously, it was before the, the street lights were invented. The, the only light that they had were lights that they made by burning olive oils. So it was a very dark world. And uh, it says in chapter 7 that the event that we see in this chapter took place during one of the Jewish festivals uh, called the Feast of Sukkot. Feast of Sukkot. Now, Sukkot means uh, tabernacle or tent or booth. Uh, it means a temporary residence. And the origin of the feast dates all the way back to the Old Testament when the, the nation of Israel were living in Egypt as slaves. When you open the, the book of Exodus, you will see that God hears their cry and eventually rescues these people out of slavery, sends, it, sends them out into the wilderness onto the promised land. And as the people were marching through the wilderness, God led the people with a pillar of cloud during the day and pillar of fire during the night. And during this time, these times, people lived in, in, in sukkahs, in, in tents and, and booths. And every now and then, they would tear down the tent and go to a different place because they had to, you know, obviously feed the cattle. And they would set up the tent again. And that was their life. And it says that they did this for a staggering 40 years. Just imagine living in tents for 40 years. Now, before the people reached the, the promised land, God commanded these people to celebrate a feast so that they would not forget how God guided the people with the cloud, with a pillar of cloud and with a pillar of, of fire. And so it says in the book of Leviticus, it says this, on exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. And then I'll skip the middle section because it's a little bit long. And it says, you shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that, that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So uh, the people celebrated this uh, event, this feast, once a year uh, in the fall season. And it says that the, the whole festival lasted seven days. It was a seven-day-long festival. And interestingly and, and, and amazingly, people still celebrate this even today. Uh, I, one of my friends uh, from seminary actually live in Israel right now. And I asked her to send me a picture of the festival that they had this year. And she sent me this picture. And as you can see, uh, during the festival, they live in huts or tents like this. And they will have dinner and the people hang out inside a tent to remember that their residence, their permanent residence is not on this earth, but is up in heaven. And according to the, the oral Jewish tradition, during the festival of this, uh, 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 during this festival, uh, the city, the whole city was lit up with lights. And in the courtyard of the great temple, which was in Jerusalem, people built a humongous 
a column of, of fire, a co- column of, of, uh, of lamp, uh, which was as high as 75 feet tall, it says. And there were four of them in the temple, and it literally lit the whole city. And everybody was able to see this, these humongous lamps during these festival for seven consecutive nights. And that is really the background that we have in this uh, chapter, chapter 8 of John. So as, as people were celebrating this event, lights everywhere, humongous lights in the temple, Jesus goes inside a temple and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was saying, I am this light. All the light that you see, this light, that light, I am what that light symbolizes. I am the light of the world. Now, when Jesus said this, again, he was speaking to the Pharisees, the, the, the religious leaders. Now, these people were the very people who were spearheading the observance of the festival, these festivals. But the irony was that these Pharisees refused to believe, refused to see that Jesus is the light of the world. Even though this festival was all about Jesus, it was all about remembering God of salvation, and they had Jesus right in front of them, right in their eyes, but they refused to believe that Jesus is that light that saves people who came to save them. That was the irony. You know, sometimes we say things like, where are you, God? Why are you not showing up in my life? What are you doing, God? Don't we say this all the time? I say it. But the truth of the matter is that even if Jesus was standing right in front of you, If there are so many other lights that you're chasing after, you will not be able to see this light that is burning in front of you, the light of Jesus that is burning in front of you. Now, for these religious leaders, Jesus was not the light, but their religion was the light. For these religious leaders, Jesus was not the light, but people's admiration and praise was the light. That was what they were living for. That was their joy. That was their hope. And because Jesus wasn't, was not the light, but these things were their light, they, they failed to see Jesus as the light of the world. Even though Jesus, Jesus was a very embodiment of the light of the world, they could not see the light that was in front of them. When you are going after a different light in the world, you will not be able to see the true light, the true light of the world. So I just wanted to ask you today, is Jesus your light? Do you see the true light of Jesus today? Or are you going after a different light? What light are you chasing after? Is it the light of money? Is it the light of relationships? Is it the light of pleasure and sex? Is it the light of wealth and promotion? Whatever that is, if you are chasing those lights, then you will have a difficult time seeing the true light in your life. You know, when I was living in Tokyo, every now and then I had this indescribable emptiness in my heart. And back then I had a job, a decent job, 
I had all these money to spend, but I had this emptiness, this dullness that, is, that was in my heart. And so whenever that happened, I would go into the city. And if you, if you know Tokyo, it's a big city. There's lights everywhere, cars passing by, noise, people just walking. And you would think that, that, that it helped me to heal that emptiness, the loneliness, but it didn't. No matter how much I spend time with the people, no matter how much I put myself in the midst of the light and the glory of the city, or buy stuff from the store, or, you know, nothing changed. And it was because I knew that the time will come eventually when I have to pack up and go, pack this tent and go. I knew that I am a, I'm a sojourner in this land. And because I knew that, none of these lights was able to satisfy me. All the lights that we see in the world have no power to save. All the lights that the world offers have no power to satisfy the very deepest needs in our hearts. When we know that this world is only temporally. You know, one of the great uh, Christian thinkers, uh, C.S. Lewis, put this thought very well in this quote. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I don't know what's uh, happening with you, with your life right now. But if, if you think that you are in a darkness, what you need is not more lights. It, it, what you need is not to put more lights in your world, but what you need is a true light of the world to enter into your life. And Jesus is saying to you today, I am that light. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. If you follow me, I will not forsake you. If you follow me, I will not leave you. And the life that I will give you is a light of life. And this life will not perish. This life will not disappear in the mist. This life will last into eternity. And Jesus is inviting you today to see that light. But I guess the question is, how do we know that Jesus is the true light of the world? How do we know that Jesus is the light? That Jesus is light and all the other light in the world is different. How do we know that? And that was exactly the question that these Pharisees had. Now, let's talk about the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees... If you grew up in a church and, you know, read the Bible at least once, you may not have a good impression of these people, Pharisees. But actually, Pharisees were a very admired people. They, they were a very religious. They took the scripture, the word of God, very seriously. They kept the law. And they were one of the few people who raised their voice against the Roman government, the Roman rule, which everybody hated. So everybody loved the Pharisees. They ex respected the Pharisees. Whenever Pharisees was walking down the street, everybody was like, Pharisee. <laughs> but when Jesus came, things changed. All the attention went to Jesus, not the Pharisee. So these religious leaders, they became jealous of Jesus. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, instead of believing in him, they responded like this. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. 
The Pharisees just couldn't stand Jesus. They knew that when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was equating himself with God. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that I am that pillar of fire that led the, the people out of Egypt. I am the God of salvation. And for that reason, Pharisees thought that Jesus was blaspheming against God. So they asked Jesus, well, you are making a very bold claim here. Now, to, to make that bold claim, do you have a witness? Where's your witness? Where's your proof? Show me the proof and I will believe that you are the light of the world. You know, during those times, whenever people wanted to make an important claim, you needed to have two or more witnesses. And the same applies with our modern world today that, you know, in a, in a criminal case, at least, if you want to bring up a case, you can't just do it alone. You need a witness to substantiate your claim. So the Pharisees took advantage of that, of that law and said, Jesus, you claim to be the light of the world, but where are your witnesses? Is he hiding under the closet? Where is he? Show it to me. Where is the proof? Then Jesus replies this. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. So Jesus was saying, I don't need a witness because I, my testimony is true. And we're like... Is that even fair? Like, is that okay? I mean, Jesus, you're making a pretty bold claim here. I mean, don't you need a witness? But if you think about it a little bit, even in our time today, there are circumstances when we don't need any witness when we are making some kind of an important claim. And that is when we are take, talking about an obvious truth, an obvious truth. For example... If I say that I am an alien from outer space, you know, nobody would believe me. Uh, my wife may believe me, but nobody else would believe me. And uh, you, you'll be like, show me the proof. Have you taken a picture of your uh, spaceship? You know, I need, a, I need a witness for that. But what if I say this? Well, let me tell you something. I am actually from Earth. I am a human being. And you're like, duh, of course you are a human being. You don't need a witness for an obvious truth. And when God is, Jesus was saying that, that my testimony is true and I don't need a witness because what I am saying, that I am a light of the world, is an obvious truth. And he gives an ex the explanation for saying that this was an obvious truth. He, he says, for I know where I came from and where I am going. He's saying that if you had known, Pharisees, if you had known where I came from and where I was going, then you would know that I was just making an obvious truth statement. Now, if you don't have Jesus today and you're living in darkness and you're asking yourself, is Jesus the light of the world? Is Jesus really different from all the other lights that I've been chasing after. Where is the proof? Show me the proof and I will believe. If you are asking that question, Jesus is telling you the same to you today. 
You need to know why Jesus came and where Jesus was going. Where did Jesus come from and where was Jesus going is the fundamental question that divides our world. And so where was Jesus going? Where did Jesus come from? And if you keep on reading this book, the book of John or any of the gospel books, you will always end up in the story of Jesus going up on a small hill, carrying the cross. You will see that Jesus came from God and he came to die on the cross for your sin and for my sins, for the sins of the whole world because God knows God knows that what is lurking in the darkest corner of our hearts, what is hidden in the ugliest part of our heart is this thing called sin. And that is our fundamental problem. Our problem is not the fact that we don't have money. Our problem is not the fact that our relationship is broken. Our problem is not the fact that you lost your identity. Even though, even though those are very important problems, but what feeds into those problems is the fundamental problem of sin. And only person who can take away that problem of sin is Jesus. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, people stood and said, Truly this was the Son of God. And no one in that moment demanded a witness. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, it was an obvious truth that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who came to take away our sins. The, the reason why we know that Jesus is the light of the world is because of his death and resurrection. We know that the light of Jesus is a true light. We know that the light of Jesus is a, the light of the world because only Jesus died for our sins. Your work didn't die for your sin. Your, your money didn't die for your sin. Your promotion never died for your sin. Only Jesus died for your sin. And for that reason, and for that reason alone, we can say that Jesus is the true light. And I just wanted to end this time with, uh, by telling you this, you this story that I heard uh, from a Japanese pastor. And his, his name is Pastor Honda. He has nothing to do with the car company, but it's a common name. He passed away about 20 years ago, a great pastor. And he was talking about this boy who had a father, and the father was a pastor. So he was a pastor's kid, if you will. And the boy had a lot of issues. He was uh, in school, just a, a kid in elementary school. And the father had issues. He always had difficult time disciplining this boy. And one day the father uh, gets a call from the school, uh, from the principal, saying that your, your son stole some money from, from his friends. And he left the school and didn't come back. And so that evening, as, a, as, father, as soon as the father came home, father asked the boy, how was your day? Did you go to school today? And the boy was like, yes, I did. And the father was angry and why did you lie to me? Why are you lying to me? What were you doing today? And the boy, you know, knew that he was in trouble. So he said, I'm sorry, dad. I um, got this money from my friends and I went out and bought some 
snacks and toys, you know, what an elementary school kid would buy. And the father, seeing that he's sorry, he decides to forgive him. And that was that. And two weeks later, the boy comes home, comes home from school uh, with a bruise on his head. And the mother asks the boy, what happened? What, what, what happened to your head? And the boy says, well, uh, I uh, stole uh, some money again from my friend. And the uh, teacher caught me. And he uh, hit me with, with his fist to discipline me three times. And um, my head became like this. You know, you have to remember that this was like, you know, 50 years ago in Japan. And you know, physical discipline was very common. But then as soon as the boy explained what happened, the father came home. And he learns what happened to the boy. And he gets furious. And he says to the boy, well, if your teacher hit you with a fist to discipline you three times, I, as your father, will hit you with his baseball bat three times. And the father begins to swing the bat at him once, twice, and three times. And the father asks the boy, did it hurt? And the boy says, no, it didn't. And in that moment, the boy slowly opens his eyes and sees that what, what the father was hitting was not the boy, but was his own arm. He was hitting his own arm. And, and as soon as the boy sees the, the bruised arm, he starts crying and, and says, I'm sorry, father. I'm sorry, father. I'm sorry, father. And the father says to the boy, well, you are sorry to me because I hit my own arm three times. Then why are you not sorry to your father in heaven? It was because of your sin that the, the son of God came and died. And in that moment, this boy finally understood the meaning of the cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for your sin. When we were the ones who needed to be punished, oh yes, we needed to be punished because God is holy. God is righteous. What kind of a father is a father who never disciplines? Because God is holy. Because God is love. Whenever, whenever there is sin, he does need to punish. Oh, and we deserved his punishment. But instead of punishing us, he sent his son and punished his son so that we can be saved, that we can be forgiven and be given a new life. And today, if you truly desire to come out of your darkness and receive the light, the new life that God gives you, all you need to do is to believe and trust in what Jesus has done for you. You don't need all the good works. You don't need all the, all, all the good deeds or all the money or you don't need to wear a tie. You don't need to strain up your life before you come to God. All you need to do is to trust in Jesus and believe in his death and resurrection. And he will forgive your deepest problem of sin. And if you want that today, I just want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And pray with me like this. 
close your eyes and pray with me. Today, Father, today, Father, I want to confess my sins before you because I know that this thing that's in my heart, in my deepest corner of my heart, cannot be removed by any means. Even when I bring all the lights in the world, it's, it never disappears. And I learned today that only you, Jesus, only your blood can wash my sins away. Today, I, I want to believe in your death on the cross. I want to trust in your resurrection. And I want to start a new life with you. Help me, God. Intervene in my life today. And as we continue to pray, thank you, Jesus, for coming to our world to dwell with us. When we go through the dark places in our life this week, would you remind us, God, of that beautiful, wonderful pillar of fire that saved the nation? Would you remind us that we don't live in this permanent home on this earth, but our permanent house is in heaven? Would you remind us, oh Lord, how much you love us, how much you love us that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin, to give me new life, to give me new purpose. Thank you, Jesus, Father, for reminding us that today. You are my light. Shine your face upon me this week, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But for those of you who uh, truly meant what you just confessed, for those of you who decided to, uh, to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we don't want to, you to walk this life alone. We want to invite you to our community. We want to just come alongside you and, and do whatever we can to, to help you to get to know God and get to know Jesus more. So what you can do is you can contact us. You can text the word Mile City to 94,000, and uh, we would love to get in touch with you. So we challenge you. We want, we want to challenge you to do that.